So like 20 years ago, uh, my friend Levi and I decided we were going to run a marathon. Um, you can probably look at my body and realize uh, this body was not made for long distance running. And, and in fact, I never even ran a race before, uh, much less 26.2 miles. Uh, but we decided like this seemed like a good idea. So we signed up for the Nashville half marathon, started our training. And I, and I realized really early on, um, I just don't like running. Like I never got that runner's high that they talked about. It was, it was miserable, but here's something that happened. I had several people in my life tell me, there's no way you're going to finish a marathon, specifically my dad. And I don't know what it is in me, but if you tell me I can't do something, it just makes me more determined. And, and I was determined I was going to finish this marathon. So the day of the race comes and, uh, man, I was, I was feeling good. Now the, the most I'd ran prior to race day was just 13 miles. And I cannot stress this enough. That is not a great training plan. Not when you're planning on running 26 miles, but we got started. And surprisingly, like the first half, I just breezed through it. I was feeling good. I don't know if it was just the people there that were cheering, if it was the music, if it was being in another city, um, but I felt great. And then about mile 15, my body started breaking down. Um, I started having pains in places I'd never had pains before. Blisters were forming on the bottom of my feet, but there was no scenario that I was not going to finish this race. I had determined no matter how bad I felt, I was crossing the finish line. That was my focus. Now, by the time I got to mile 20, it was excruciating. I, I could feel uh, the blood like pooling in the bottom of my shoes. And honestly, I don't even remember much about the last six miles. It was almost like I was blacking out because of the pain, but I was determined to get to the finish line. And when I crossed the finish line, about three hours after the winner had crossed and I was like in 11,000th place, uh, you wouldn't know that by the way I responded, you know, both fist in the air and I just collapsed. The announcer who's kind of announcing people as they cross calls for a medic. These two young guys come, they pick me up and they take me to the medical tent. And as they're dragging me there, I'm letting them know that like my shoes are full of blood that I just, you know, I'm hoping they're not gonna have to amputate my feet on the spot. And so we get there and, and they lay me down on this bed. People start rushing towards me. They're explaining what's wrong. They take scissors and cut off my shoelaces so they can peel my, my shoes off. And I'm making groans and moans as they're doing that. They cut my socks off and everyone looks at the bottom of my feet. And eventually one of them had enough courage to look at me and say, there's, there's no blood here. Like your feet aren't bleeding. You have a couple small blisters. Somehow I had convinced myself that my feet were bleeding. And then they told me, Hey, sir, I'm sorry, but we only have space on our beds for people who are really injured. And so I had to bend over and pick up my shoes that had no shoelaces in them now and my cut up socks. And it was one of the lowest moments of my life. It was the walk of shame out of the medical tent after I'd convinced myself that I had blood all on the bottom of my shoes. But here's the point of the story. I finished. Like I was determined that I was going to get to the finish line. And today, as we wrap up our study of Philippians, what we're going to see with Paul is, is there's a determination. Like the language he uses, we're going to see it's, it's, it's aggressive. Like he, he is determined to get to the finish line. And he, what he's saying is like, man, I've discovered joy. Like my life has meaning and purpose. Like I've discovered a new level of living and there's no way 
that I'm going back. So let's jump in to our instruction from Paul today. And he says this, not that I've already obtained all of this and I haven't arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says, man, like I've come too far. Like I can't stop now. Like I, I'm on a journey and I'm going to, I'm going to press on. I'm going to make it to the finish line. There's nothing to go back to. You know, that word press on literally means to like reach, to grasp, to, to like be completely focused on. And that's what Paul is saying. Like I am going to make it. I have nothing to go back to. I've discovered something deeper. I'm living in a way that's different than the rest of the world. And I'm not going to go back. I'm going to continue to press forward. And then he says this in verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So I'm not there yet. But there's one thing that I do. And for some of us, this is going to be so critical that we understand what Paul did. And it's, it's really our next spiritual step. Paul said, I had to do this. I had to forget what's behind and then I had to strain towards what's ahead. You know, most of us, when we think about Paul, we think about this great leader in the early church, um, someone who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Other than Jesus Christ, he is the most influential person in Christian history. I mean, that's what we think about Paul. But before Paul put his faith in Christ, he was just as passionate about stopping this new movement called Christianity. In fact, in in Acts chapter 7, there's this great man, his name's Stephen. Stephen was faithful and he served in the church. And Paul had him executed by being stoned to death. And then when we get to, to, to Acts 8, it says that great fear broke out in the church in Jerusalem and people ran for their lives. Like they just ran to neighboring countries and villages hiding for their lives because there were so many people wanting to destroy them and persecute and even kill them. And Paul was responsible for all this. Then in Acts 9, Paul has this radical conversion where he believes that Jesus is who he said he was. Shortly after this, now he's a part of this church family. And it's not a stretch to believe that Paul ran into friends and family of Stephen. And there was weight to that, that he was responsible for the death of this man And as Paul traveled around and planted churches and served in churches, he ran into people who were forced out of Jerusalem because of what he did. They left their possessions and their family and their church behind. They were hiding for their lives because of Paul's actions. And then Paul engages with them. And this was, this was heavy. And Paul said, I've had to make this choice to forget what's behind. And strain towards what's ahead. I I can't hold on to both. I can't hold on to my past and move forward doing the things that God has called me to do. It's kind of like a trapeze artist. You know, if if a trapeze artist is going to progress, they have to let go and grab on to the next thing. And Paul said it's the same way. You can no longer hold on to your past and also move forward and do the things that God has called you to do. And for some of us, we're still allowing our past to define us. We're still allowing it to define who we are. And the next spiritual step for some of us is to really trust that what Jesus did on the cross was good enough, that it really allows your past to be in the past, that you can experience a brand new life with him. And Paul said, man, like 
I've done so many things that I'm ashamed of, things that caused harm to the movement of Christ. But I knew if I was going to move forward, if my life was going to have impact, if I was going to be the person God wants me to be, then I was going to have to leave my past in the past. And then he, he continues on with this aggressive language. He said, man, I, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, those of us who are mature, should take such a view of such things. Paul said this really comes down to maturity. Everything that we've studied through the book of Philippians, this new way of living, Paul said, are you going to be mature or are you going to be immature? I mean, an immature person allows their circumstance to determine their mood and their attitude. An immature person, when they don't get their way, they pout. An immature person is way more focused on themselves than others. An immature person is way more focused on being right than they are being a person of influence. An immature person says, well, my past has to define me. I can never get past that. And Paul said, what are you going to be? Immature or mature? It's time to grow up and realize there's a new way to live. We can experience joy regardless of what's going on in our lives. We can live in a way where we serve and, and impact the world around us, where our past no longer defines who we are. It's time to grow up, Paul is saying to each one of us. This sounds like a conversation that I have often in my home. You know, my daughter, Chapel, who's 14, and my son, Jude, who's eight, they have these arguments and fights. And sometimes eventually I have to step in and be the referee and say, what happened? And Jude will say, well, Chapel did this. And then I did this. And Chapel will explain her side because he said this. I said this back and he hit me and I hit him. Chapel doesn't like this. But usually I turn my attention to her and say, Chapel, you're 14. He's eight. You shouldn't respond the way he responds. I expect more out of you. But, but dad, he did this. Chapel, I don't want to hear it. You're 14. Act like you're 14. And Paul is saying to us, come on, grow up. Act like you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That there's a different way to live. You don't have to continue to think the same way that you've always thought and act the same way that you've always acted. Grow up and act like mature followers of Jesus. And then I love this statement that, that Paul makes in verse 16. And he said, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul said, hey, we can't give up ground now. Like we've come too far. There's nothing to go back to. What are you going to go back to? Allowing your circumstances to define who you are? Allowing your past to hold you back? Living a life without purpose or meaning? Like, we can't give up ground. We've got to hold the ground that we've made in our lives. You know, for probably the, like the first 25 years of my life, all I knew was cotton underwear. That was the only thing that existed. And then one day, this magical day, I was introduced to this microfiber boxer briefs that Under Armour made. This is one of the greatest inventions of my lifetime. I could never go back to whitey tighties again. Like there's just no scenario that I'm going back because I discovered something different. And Paul said, what are you going to go back to? Like there's nothing there for you. 
living a life of anxiety and fear, thinking that you're in control of everything, thinking that life's just about you and only serving your own interests, being held back because of your past, that's what you want to go back to? Come on, as followers of Jesus, we've experienced something different. We got to hold the ground and make sure that we don't go back to an old way of living. And then in chapter four, a lot of it has to do with like Paul's specific instruction to the church there and then to some of his friends. But there's this section in Philippians four. And as we wrap up our study of Philippians today, I want us to dive into it because some of it serves as a reminder of what Paul has already said throughout the letter. And then it also kind of paints this picture of what this striving, what this pressing looks like, what it looks like to really be like focused on the finish line. And so it says this in Philippians 4, verse 4, something that we've heard all throughout this letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Paul said, come on, keep going back to the well of joy. Happiness happens to you. Well, the, the joy is a choice. It's a well that we can go back to over and over and over again. It's almost as if Paul is saying this to himself. Come on, choose to rejoice. Choose joy. Don't allow my current circumstances to define my attitude and the tone of my heart. You know, I think that the conversation that we have with ourselves every day is one of the most important conversations that we have. All of us, we have this self-talk, these things that we say to ourselves and about ourselves. And one of the greatest things I think we could say is, come on, rejoice. Find joy. Don't, don't wait to be happy. Like, keep your eyes focused on Jesus and his goodness and what he's already done for you, what he did for you on the cross, the fact that he adopted you into his family, that he invited you to be a part of this work, this movement of the church. That should cause us to continually rejoice in the fact that beyond this life, there's heaven waiting for us. It means we have to choose joy regardless of what's going on in our lives. And Paul says, come on, rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Continue to choose joy in every part of our lives. That's what this like straining and pressing on looks to, that we don't lower ourselves to a different way of living, but that we choose joy every day. And then he continues on. And he says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul said, live in a way that the way you respond, the way you react, it just exudes gentleness. You're not nervous and anxious and afraid. But the way you live, there's this awareness that God is near. Do you ever ponder that? The God of creation, the one who spoke and the universe and everything was just formed because of the power of his voice. The one who holds the universe in the span of his hand. God, the creator of all things, is close to you. That he cares about you. The psalmist said he knows the number of hairs on our head. Like he, he is constantly paying attention to you. That you can just whisper and he's listening, his ear is bent to you. He's not far away. I mean, it blows my mind that God is that focused on me. And it doesn't matter if we run as far away from God as we can, 
If we'll pause and just whisper, he's listening. He's paying attention. He loves you. He loves me that way. And Paul says, live in a way that there's this awareness that God's with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fight. You don't even have to defend yourself. God is near. There could be this gentleness to the life that we live. You know, my son, Trust, is 11 years old, and he's in a wheelchair. Um, he can't speak and, and can't see. Maybe he sees a little bit. They're not sure. I think at times he can tell when the lights turn on or maybe if there's an object really close to him. And one of my favorite things to do is to be really quiet and just get close to trust and lean into his face. And I don't know if the trust can, can hear my voice or he recognizes my smell or, or maybe he can see that, that I'm close to him. But trust gets quiet and he holds his breath. And as long as I sit there, he's just quiet and his eyes will move back and forth. He knows his father's near and he'll sit there until I give him a big kiss and then he'll smile. But there's this awareness, my, my dad is close. And Paul said we should live in the same way where there's this awareness that our father is close, that he wants to speak to us. He's paying attention. There's nothing that goes unnoticed. You don't have to be afraid. God's with you. So the way we live our lives should be evident of that. People around us say, I mean, there's just a different tone to his life. The way she responds is just different. They're not angry and demanding. There's this this calmness that comes from this assurance that God is near. And then on the tail end of that, um, Paul says something to most of us. This seems completely impossible. The next phrase that Paul says for most of us is not the reality of our lives. He says this in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing should create anxiety in our lives. Instead, this should be our response. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, just Present your request to God. Let me remind us, Paul's in prison. There's awareness in Paul's writings that he knew um, that his life was going to be taken from him at some point, that he would be executed. Yet Paul says, we don't have to be anxious about anything. Nothing should create stress and anxiety in our lives. Instead, because we have this awareness that God is with us, that he cares, that, that he's close by, Instead, let's just be thankful and let's pray. You know what I've found? It's really difficult for me to turn my attention and focus to God and just be thankful and also be anxious at the same time. I've also discovered this. Prayer usually does a lot more for me than it does my circumstances. Now, I'm always praying about my circumstances. God changed this, fix that. But God often changes me in the process. See, I think by nature, prayer is an act of faith. Anytime we quiet ourselves and we talk to somebody that we can't see, it's an act of faith. We're saying, I believe there's a God. And he cares about me enough to listen to me. And he's powerful enough to change circumstances or change me in the middle of it. And so when we pause and we turn our focus and attention to God and we're just grateful and we're thankful You know what I found is like a lot of that anxiety and fear goes away because we're really asking ourselves the question in that moment, who's in control? 
Anytime you feel anxious, it's a great question to ask yourself, who's in control in this moment? Is it you or is it God? God's near. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be good to you. So when we quiet our hearts in prayer, often our attention focuses on a big God and our problems seem smaller and smaller. Circumstances don't need to change. We need to change. And so Paul said, hey, I'm in prison. I don't know when I'm getting out. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. I'm not anxious. Instead, I'm thankful and I'm praying. And in the middle of that, God does something incredible. Listen to what it says as a result of what we do in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. See, most people believe that peace is an absence of problems. The only way we can really experience peace is if there's calmness in our lives. Well, Paul says, don't you understand that peace is a gift from God? So when you choose not to be anxious and you choose to be grateful and you pray and you just turn your focus and attention to God, there's this gift that God gives us and it's peace. In the middle of the chaos of your life, you have this calmness in your soul that God's near and he loves me and he cares about me. This week, um, I invited a good friend of mine um, just to spend time with our staff. Uh, recently, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I said, I want you to come up and just allow us as a staff to pray with you and encourage you. And so she came up with her husband and her kids. And um, we worshiped together for a while. And all of our staff uh, prepared a, a scripture they wanted to, to say to her to encourage her. And then we just we prayed, believing that God's going to do a miracle in her life. But here's a strange moment. I looked at her and her husband and her family, and I just said, how do you all feel through all this? The weight of getting that diagnosis and and knowing that um, the next several months of your life is going to be some aggressive treatment, and this isn't something that's just going to go away unless God does something miraculous. How do you feel? And her response and her husband's response was, what is that peace? How strange is that? Do you understand like a diagnosis that could be that scary, that life altering? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what six months looks like or a year or five years from now looks like. And they just said, we're at peace. That's the gift that God wants to give you. And, and it requires maturity. It requires us growing up and saying, hey, in these moments, instead of thinking I'm in control, I'm going to turn my focus and attention to God and I'm going to let him do his part And then God protects our hearts and our minds, and he gives us this gift of peace. And then Paul gives us final instruction as we wrap up our series. He says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice. Do it. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul said, man, the battle's in our mind. You've got to get your mind focused on the right things. Think about the good stuff, the pure things, the things that lead you in the right direction. My mom said this to me over and over and over again when I was growing up. She would say, Andrew, garbage in, garbage out. What are you feeding your mind? And 30 years later, it's still true. 
Whatever I'm feeding my mind ends up coming out of my life. And Paul says, do you understand the battles in your mind? There's enough people out there that are going to be discouraging and point you in the wrong direction. There's enough garbage out there that we could watch and consume that will just make us more anxious and nervous. Or we could just focus on the things that are good and true. That's why I think it's so important as a follower of Christ, we develop the discipline every single day that we spend time reading the things that God says about us. So we, we make reading scripture a part of our lives, not out of guilt or we, this sense of obligation because it's what's true and it's what's pure. And we spend time quiet and we allow our lives to slow down long enough to realize I'm not in control. God is. Throughout Philippians, Paul says, you understand there's, there's a different way to live. There's a new level of living, a life that leads to peace and joy, freedom from your past. But it requires maturity. It requires us growing up and saying, I'm going to put this stuff in practice. Just like Paul said, hey, I've taught you all these things. You've heard this stuff. But if you don't put it in practice, it doesn't work. And the question is, are you going to do it or not? I'm telling you, it will lead to a different way of living, a new reality of life. But a mature person says, all right, then let's do it. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start leaning in. I'm going to press on. I'm going to make sure that I keep my mind focused on the right thing. An immature person says, ah, I'm going to keep living the same way and hoping my circumstances change. Let's choose joy. It's what God has designed for each one of us. Let's pray together. God, I'm just thankful that over the last few weeks we've, we've been reminded, maybe some of us even learned for the first time, there's a new way to live. You want us to experience life to, to the fullest. And God, we want to live a life where we experience joy and peace and freedom from our past. And so there's a determination in me and in us to say, hey, we're going to press on, we're going to strive, we're going to reach, we're going to push towards the life that you called us to live. God, I'm confident of this, regardless of what's going on in our lives in this moment, if we had turned it to you and turn our focus and attention to you, we can experience your peace and your joy. And so God, the things that, that are weighing us down, instead of trying to fix them and control them, we're thankful and grateful that you're close and you're listening, even in this moment, you're paying attention and you care about us. We believe that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.